Turn with me in the scriptures to two openings, please. Philippians chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 12. Philippians 3, Hebrews 12. We began last week on a new series that we are calling Perfection Through Correction. And wow, was everybody excited. I mean, whew. <laughs> Having to calm the people down. <laughs> but uh, some things, they don't make you shout when you first hear them. But when you do them, later on you do a lot of shouting. So uh, I, I have such an excitement in my spirit about this because there, there's such powerful answers here. And there's some things enemies tried to do that I believe God will use. He's doing things like this all over the world. I don't just mean us, but we have our part. But things like this will come up and come out and his deception and confusion will be thwarted. And people will get free. Hallelujah. You believe in that with me? I'm I'm believing for that. In Philippians 3. And. uh, Verse. uh, 12. Paul says by the spirit of God. Spirit says through him. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already. Perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now, this passage in King James English, a lot of folks just, they read it, they think, yeah, it sounds good, but it just just kind of goes past. What's he talking about? He said, I don't count myself to have attained or apprehended. And he keeps talking about perfection. Perfection. Now as we got into last week. Most Christians believe. Like it's a scripture. Nobody's perfect. And the implication is. Nobody could be. But if you believe that. You just won't even pay any attention. To the scriptures, and there's numerous ones in the New Testament that talk about being perfect. Last week we looked where Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Then he also said, you're not going to be above the Master, but everyone that's fully developed, you know, the perfect will be like the Master. So, There is a kind of perfection that's not only attainable, it's commanded. We're called to it. Paul said he didn't count himself to have already arrived. 
But he's not just throwing up his hands and saying, I'm just a man. Nobody's perfect and not even trying. What's he doing? Forgetting the things that are behind and reaching and pressing. Toward what? Toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? Being just like the master, which is perfection. And so we looked at the definition of perfect in the Bible. When we hear perfect, we think flawless, without mistake, without deficiency. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it uses that word in these instances. The word perfect here means whole, complete, completely, completely developed. Developed unto its full maturity. We, instead of saying perfect, you could also say completely, holy. The Lord wants us to go all the way. He wants us to be wholehearted. And he doesn't want us to be, to stop at being a little bit like the Lord. He wants us to be completely like the master. So he says, well, I, I am. I've, I've been recreated in his image. I've been born again. I am just like him. Yes and no. You are. But you're, we've been born again babies. Infants. And we are supposed to begin to grow up and begin to develop. And we have this flesh that has not been born again. Did you know that? You got this flesh that's exactly the same flesh as a person that denies that there is a God. And your flesh will do anything you let it do. All manner of wrong things if you let it. We got a mind that needs to be renewed. And especially if you came to the Lord later after decades of worldly and ungodly thinking. There needs to be a lot of reprogramming. Lottery renewing of the mind. We must not assume that uh, where we are right now, that we think exactly like the Lord. (laughs) Did I lose anybody? (laughs) No, we require development. We need to grow up in him. Many passages of scripture talk about this. Now, uh, go with me to Hebrews, if you would, please. 12th chapter. Let's look at how this is going to occur. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, 12 follows 11. And in, uh, (laughs) that wasn't a revelation to you, was it? What's in the 11th chapter? That is the great faith chapter. Example after example after example of men and women who lived by faith, who overcame, received miracles, did great exploits. And the Bible tells us there in that chapter that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, of all the things the Lord could have said, this is the thing that he says, without this, 
You cannot impossible. You cannot please him. There is no prayer that pleases God without faith. There is no offer. You couldn't write a big enough check to impress or please God unless it was done with a heart of faith. See, with God, it's always about the heart. Always about the heart. And the thing with him, other people may not be clear on what your heart is. But he sees through everything and sees right down into us. The Bible said everything is, is open, naked, before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows your heart. And if your heart's not in it, then it's not okay with him. No matter how big other people might think it to be. The condition of the heart determines the acceptableness of the gift. We'll look at that more later. But it's always all about the heart. And uh, when, we, when we're talking about being perfect, that's what God is. What does God look at? Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. It's true. None of us are perfect in performance. None of, and not going to be. None of us are perfect in knowledge. And not going to be. Or understanding. None of us are perfect in the flesh. And not going to be in this life. But... You can be wholehearted towards God every hour of every day. Glory to God. You can believe Him with your whole heart. You can trust Him with your whole heart. You can follow Him with your whole heart. And you can do what you do unto Him with all your might, with your whole heart. Thank you, Lord. And people might examine it and go, that wasn't perfect. You messed up here. You messed up there. You didn't get this. You didn't get that. But God's looking at your heart. And even though you can, I mean, it's possible to do some dumb stuff with your head and your heart still be good. Your heart was right about it. You meant well. You were there. You were giving her all you had. When God sees that, he calls it perfect. Perfect. Hallelujah. And that's what we're called to. And there's no excuse. There's no reason. There's no justification for not giving him your whole heart. It's just a choice. In Hebrews 12, we saw in Hebrews 11, faith, 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 faith. And then in Hebrews 12, he says, wherefore, Verse 1, seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now he's still talking about the same things he was talking about in chapter 11. This wasn't written in chapter and verse. He's talking about we live by faith. We walk by faith. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Actually, Young's literal translation, which is one of the most accurate you can read. He's author of the concordance, you know. He said, looking to the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, who over against the joy set before him, did endure a cross. Shame having despised on the right hand also of the throne of God, did sit down. 
You say, why does it read that way? Because ancient manuscripts read that way. They actually, instead of reading from left to right, they read from right to left, and the constructions of the sentences are backwards from the way. Actually, we're the backwards one. <laughs> this was around a long time before we got here. <laughs> but uh, the Lord is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I want to make a statement now, and you'll see why, and I'll come back to it in a little bit. Our righteousness does not need to be perfected. Our faith does. I'm going to say that again a couple of times. Our righteousness does not need to be perfected. Why? Because our standing in righteousness with God is Christ's own righteousness. It's His. It doesn't need to be perfected. It is completely accepted and perfect. But our faith, which is how we walk, how we live, how we receive, how we overcome, how we please God, definitely needs to develop and fully develop and mature and be perfected. And thank God, Jesus is here to help us. He's demonstrated it. And he sent us his spirit and given us his word and is continually with us, if we'll listen, if we'll follow him, to perfect our faith. That we grow. Uh, What does that mean to perfect our faith? To walk in faith like he did. We are to take the sacrifice of Jesus and put it on a pedestal. Because he alone is the spotless lamb of God. He alone could pay the price for our sins. He alone could do that. So that is in a category by itself unattainable to any of us. But the ministry of Jesus is not to be placed in a category unattainable to us. He did what he did His praying, his preaching, his teaching, his believing, his ministering to the sick and the oppressed, the miracles that happened. He did all this as a man anointed with the Holy Spirit as the perfect example for us to emulate and follow. If that's not true, how could it be true that when he said, if you believe on me, the works I do, will you do also? And greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. If he did them as God and we're not God, that's impossible. But if he did them as a man, anointed with the mighty Holy Spirit, and if he would anoint us with that same Spirit, we begin to see the glorious possibilities and the call. What does it mean, your faith perfected? Jesus said himself, I do always those things that please him. Talking about the Father. From the time Jesus opened his eyes in the morning to the time he laid his head at night, everything he said, everything he did, and everything in the middle of the night was pleasing the Father. Before his ministry, the Father spoke out of heaven, this is my son. My beloved son, in him I am 
well pleased. Now, from what we just read in Hebrews 11, what do we know about what Jesus was doing? Without what is it impossible to please God? So what do we know Jesus is doing? Everything he's doing, he's doing in faith and by faith. And we see full measure faith. We say faith at a level of speaking to the winds and waves and them obeying. We see faith on a level of walking on the water, speaking to those oppressed, speaking to sickness. He's doing it as a man by faith. I know some folks don't believe that, but you just have to ignore scripture after scripture if you don't believe it. No, as our substitute, As our sacrifice, he is in a category by himself. But what he did in life, praying, living, preaching, ministry, he became a man and operated as a man showing us how to do it. Demonstrating to us what can be done by faith as a man walking in the earth. And oh, the devil didn't want you to see this. Oh, he didn't want me to see. He didn't want us to see this. He wants you to believe you're just a worm. You just can't help but sin every day. That's all you can do. And just beg and hope you make heaven some way, somehow. And everything that you read in the gospel accounts. Oh, yeah, but that was Jesus. That was Jesus. In other words, don't try this at home. You can't. (laughs) Don't even begin to think. Lies, lies, lies. When Peter and the others saw Jesus walking on the water. Now, let's just stop right here. How did he do that? By faith in God. By faith in the Father. By being continually listening to him and him showing him what to do and then him stepping out by faith and doing it. And and Peter said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come out there. (laughs) And Jesus said, Peter, Peter. Who do you think you are, man? I'm Jesus. I can do this. What makes you think? Mm -mm. That's religion. That's what men have developed. What did Jesus say? Come on, boy. Come on. Come on out here with me. Oh, is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is he still saying, come on out here with me? Come on out here. Walk on the water with me. I can't walk on. Yeah, you can't. But by faith in God, you can. Come on out here with me. That's the real Jesus. That's real God. But religion, which is, you know, the traditions and religion of men, which actually comes from the enemy, doctrines of devils, would have you believe That somehow it makes God bigger for us to be more pitiful and pathetic and powerless and defeated. It's not true. You and I are the sons and daughters of God. (laughs) What do good parents want their sons and daughters to do? Stay way beneath them. They want them to come up, come up, come on up. Parents, natural parents, want their children to surpass them. Well, with God, he can't have that. He, he's top. That's it. But what he can do is say, come up with me. And everyone that is perfect, Jesus said, will be as me, the master. 
Wow. Man, I'd have come just to preach that to myself. <laughs> Are you okay? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That's disciplines. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. But for what son is he whom the father chastens not? Now, there's big emphasis in a lot of places on God loves you. God loves you more than you know. God loves you. But what you don't hear much of is he corrects and disciplines those he loves. Being corrected is one of the most unpopular things in the world. Most people. Talking about church-going people. They do not take correction well or at all. Do you think I'm exaggerating? Oh, man. People will receive some instruction as long as they can act like they might not even really need it. That's good information. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to give me some more of that. But correction... You're doing this. That's wrong. You need to stop it and do this. And we're talking about changing your life, not just 30 minutes on Sunday. We're talking about for the rest of your life, changing your life. Oh, buddy. Preacher, you need to tend your own business. That is my business. It just hadn't been popular. And a whole lot of folks have gotten away From this element of God's love. Do you believe God loves you? What does God do with those he loves? He corrects them. So why instead of being insulted. Shouldn't we be glad. Realizing it's a manifestation of love. It's an indication of God's love for me. Well see how excited everybody is. Let's let's keep going. (laughs) <laughs> he said, uh, verse 9, furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence or respect. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. What's the reason why he's doing this? He wants us our faith to be perfected and he wants us to become more and more partaker of his nature, which is holiness. Now, holiness is so misunderstood that by most church-going people, it's not even desired. Now, if you ask people, they go, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's important. That's good. Yeah, you need to be, need to be holy. But that's about the end of it. There is no admiration 
for holiness. There is no burning desire to want to be more holy among many. But that's changing in Faith Life Church families. It's changing as we're here right now. Holiness is not a list of criteria to meet that some men came up with. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of holiness, my spiritual father, Kenneth Hagin, spoke it several times. He'd say it ever so often. Holiness is Christ-likeness. Could you get a better definition? What is being holy? Being holy is being like him. What is being perfect? Being like him. What's the highest level of faith you can walk in? Like he did. Praying like he did. Speaking like he did. Overcoming like he did. And that's what we're called to. Is to be like him. Walk like him. Now the enemy. Let me back up. What we just got through talking about. Is part of the gospel. Part of the gospel. The good news. Isn't it good news? That you don't just have to be a beat down, defeated, sin-filled being. That you can live and walk like the master. That's good news. That's some of the best news you ever heard. But the enemy hates this. Oh, he hates it. Because the more you walk like the master, the more you're going to tear up his party. The more you're going to mess up his business. What does the anointing do? It removes burdens. It destroys yokes. The enemy, it could have taken him 20, 30 years to get a stronghold in somebody's life. And if you're walking like the master, God could use you for that situation to be changed in a matter of seconds. Oh, so man, he does not want you to come to think and believe you could walk like Jesus. Which is why there's so much pressure against this. He went on to say, Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Is being corrected fun? You can answer that. No, it's not fun. (laughs) Being chastened, being disciplined, being corrected, it's not fun. The Bible said it's not joyous. It's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, at the time... It's not pleasant. But afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. What's he saying? Previously, he said, don't faint. That's what he's talking about when he says, let the lame be healed and, and the feeble hands, let them be lifted up. We've said this before, but what does feigning sound like? I can't do anything right. Here they are correcting me again. Everything I do is wrong. That's a lie, and you know it's a lie. One thing out of 50, they're correcting you about. 
And you go, everything I know, I can't do anything to please them. I can't do it. You know it's a lie. It's a lie. Look, I'm just a man. Nobody's perfect. These are dishonest justifications of not being wholehearted. Not giving it your all. I need to say that again. That came right out of my spirit. Dishonest justifications for not being wholehearted. There's another response. What is the response? To humble yourself. To repent. Oh, repent's an unpopular word these days. Repent. Repent doesn't just mean feel bad. Repent means to change. You haven't repented unless you've changed. You turn away from one thing to something else. You turn loose of it and embrace this. You stop this and start this. That's repentance. Why is repentance so unpopular? Why is correction so unpopular? It is because the nature of the devil is pride and rebellion. And he is the God of this world. I said, no, God's God of this world. No, he will be. He's the creator of it. But God the Father is not controlling everything on this earth. All you got to do is look around. That's not hard to figure out. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls the devil the God of this world. And he will be until the Lord straightens all this up. Because he is, notice in Ephesians. Go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Keep going. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. The nature of the devil, and and there is an entity, a being, we call the devil. This is not fairy tale. And he has those that are with him and that assist him. And he, he's a being with a personality. And his personality is the perfection of pride. You'll never meet a more proud being than the devil. Also, goes along with that, he is the most rebellious and defiant being you'll ever meet or know about. I'm not planning on doing any personal meeting. You? I, I, the less to do with him, the better. He 
is proud and rebellious. And because he has through Adam and Eve's sin and following sin of mankind given the authority that God gave man to the enemy. Man was supposed to be the God of this world. But because man bowed their knee to Satan, he has become the God of this world. And his influence is pervasive over the whole planet. And where his influence is being yielded to, you will see pride, arrogance, defiance, rebellion, disobedience. There is no such thing as a good type of pride. So what? Certainly there is. I mean, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud of my kids. You're not going to tell me there's something wrong with that. I'm telling you everything's wrong with that. It's okay to be thankful. It's okay to be glad. But to be proud, you're not just being proud of America. You're proud of you. And why are you so proud of your kids? They're your kids. And this self-pride is evil. It's very sinister. Most people don't even think anything's wrong with it. (laughs) Are you with me or not? Well, find me scripture for the acceptable forms of pride. Mm -mm. What did the... uh, the Lord, the Father say, this is my beloved son. I'm so proud of him. <laughs> no, pride in all of its forms and variations is evil. It is the very nature of Satan himself. And God hates pride. I didn't say he hates the proud. He loves people, no matter their situation. But he hates pride. It is as ungodly, unchristlike as you can get. You need to join him in it. If he hates it, don't you want to agree with him? Yes. Anybody know enough of the scripture to know that I quoted it right? God hates pride. So say it out loud, Lord. Lord. I hate what you hate. I hate what you and hate. I love what you love. And I love, what you love. If, you hate pride, if you hate pride, if it's the nature of the devil... I hate it too. I despise it. Help me to see it in myself and resist it and get rid of it and become like the master. Hallelujah. Some folks are still struggling with that. I'm proud of my kids. I'm thankful to be an American. That's a big statement. I'm so pleased to be an American. I travel. I go to other countries. I'm happy when I get back. Not to say there's other great countries. I'm not not saying that. I'm just, God put me here. I was born here. This is my place. I'm thankful. But why should, you got to watch about this. I'm proud we're better than everybody else. What makes us better than everybody? God loves us more. He favors us more. 
You don't have to put somebody else down to be up. They can be great too. I lost somebody else. (laughs) What's Jesus really like? Matthew 11. Go there please. Matthew 11 and 25. It's wonderful to be pleased with your children. To be so honored and glad that the Lord lets you uh, rear them and, and lead them. And to be so thankful of what he's doing in their lives. and How he's anointed them and helped them and protected them and kept them. But don't cross the line and be proud. Because now you've left the Lord. And you're getting into something he hates. Don't just take my word for it. Put your nose in this book. Look up every verse on these things. See what we're talking about. Mark 11. I said Mark, I said it wrong. Matthew 11, 28. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Here Jesus himself reveals his character, his personality, What's he like? People say, what's Jesus like? He told you what he's like. Now we've we've met him in spirit, those of us that are born again. We've touched him, we're communed with him. But if you met him in the flesh right now, what would it be that would stand out to you? One of the big things that would stand out to you is what he said. I am meek and lowly in heart. What's the devil? Proud and haughty, defiant, rebellious, disobedient. You tell him to do something, you can be pretty sure he's going to do something else. And those that yield to him become more and more like him. Have you ever heard defiance? Nobody tells me what to do. I'm my own man. Well, then you're not God's man. We're supposed to be submitting. We're supposed to be obeying. These words are unpopular. Why are they so unpopular? Why is it such a big deal? If you get corrected to go, they're correcting me. Why does it rub you so wrong? Why does it chafe you so much? Why does everything about your flesh want to go? No, no, I'm not going to do it because the devil is like that and he is the God of this world and his influence is all over the place and unless you make up your mind, I'm not yielding to these influences coming against me out here. I'm yielding to the one that's inside me in here. Unless you do that, then you will go right along with the rest of the world and you will be hard-headed, you'll be stubborn, you'll be prideful, you'll be rebellious and disobedient. That's being like the devil. That's what he did. He defied God. He went against God. He was able to convince others of the angels to go with him. They must have thought they had a chance. 
They must have thought they did. They wouldn't have done it if they didn't think they had a chance. And he, that's how convincing he is. Don't ever underestimate the devil. Smart, genius, he's beyond all that. When you're just talking about intellect, he's been around longer than millennia. We don't know how long he's been around. He's observed the entire process of mankind's coming and going in generations. Ain't no way you're going to outthink him. And if you listen to him, he will tangle you up. He will convince you of things you never imagined you would. He is subtle. He is crafty. So don't try to match wits. What you do, the Bible didn't say try the doctrines. It said try the spirits. Well, how can I tell if this doctrine is right or not? A lot of times the enemy's so crafty with it. And depending on how much scripture you know, it might be challenging for you to, to know, to discern. But I tell you what you can do. You can skip past that and just close your eyes and listen to the tone of it and listen to the spirit of it and check your heart. If it's disrespectful, if there's a defiance about it and a prideful attitude, it's not the Lord. That's not him. I don't care how many scriptures they've got. Did you know the devil can quote scriptures? He quoted scriptures to Jesus. The scriptures were right. The spirit was wrong. What's a wrong spirit? Prideful. Defiant. Disobedient. Rebellious. What's a right spirit? Meek, humble, peaceful, willing, obedient, faithful, submissive. It's not a cuss word. It's a Bible word. (laughs) We need mind renewal. We need revelation. In our own lives, to see what of our personality that we're clinging to, that we think makes us us, is actually prideful and defiant and rebellious. Do you want to know? It will involve some correction. Do you want to know? Everybody pray it. Say it out loud. Father God, God. reveal to me my own pride. Anything about me me. that I've gotten from the spirit of this world, world. growing up in this world, world. from other people, people. that's ungodly, that's That's not like Jesus, that's That's actually like the devil, devil. defiance, Defiance. disobedience, Disobedience. disrespect, Disrespect. rebellion, Rebellion. help me to see it, it. and I ask for your grace and help. To overcome it. To to put it away from me. I want to please you. I want to be like you. Only. In Jesus name. I believe that pleases the Lord. Learn about me. I am meek. And lowly in heart. 
What's the devil like? Come on, help me out. If that's, we just got these two things real quick. What's he like? Proud. Proud. Of course, selfish and rebellious. Rebellious. Defiant. Disobedient. What's Jesus like? Meek. Humble. Always pleases the Father. Submits to the Father. I mean in the garden. What was that whole prayer about? Not my will. Father if there's any way. If there's any way. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless. Not my will. But your will be done. That's Jesus. Do you want to be like that? Or do you want to be like the enemy? Go over to Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's uh, now this is not to say that nothing existed before this. This is our beginnings, mankind's beginnings. There's a whole lot happened for a long, long time. We have very little idea, but with us. Human beings, mankind. This is our beginning. God created us. He made us. And uh, in this perfect paradise where it never got too hot or too cold, where you didn't need air conditioning or a heater, where you could run through the jungle. And never step on a thorn. Where you're in perfect harmony with all the rest of the creation. You don't have to worry about a lion attacking you or a crocodile getting you. Never. Never. They just, uh, you just said, could y'all move aside please, I'm coming through. And, and they wouldn't. They smile and go, hi, good to see you today. <laughs> we don't know a world like that. All creation now is affected terribly by the curse and death. But the Lord's going to fix it. I said he's going to fix it. He's going to fix every bit of it. When everything changed was when the devil came on the scene. In the third chapter, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And we know what happened. They listened to the enemy. They reasoned with him. It sure it does look good. How can anything look so good hurt you? What would be wrong with being wiser? They reasoned. They thought. They didn't trust God. And they disobeyed. Can you see what the enemy's doing? He was able to breathe that disobedient, rebellious spirit into our first parents and get them to disobey God. Now, we can't throw any rocks. All of us, when we came to age of understanding, we've done the same thing. But I want you to notice in the fourth chapter, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
So we've got how many human beings on the planet? Four maybe? I mean, talk about a small population. And you know the story, with four human beings on the planet, the devil is able to get one of them to kill one of the other ones. His only brother. How is that possible? How is that possible? It's still happening today. But how is that possible? The enemy has just newly been able to begin to lord it over the earth because man has bowed his knee. And see, the devil has what you might call a God complex. He wants to be God. He ain't God. He never will be God. But he wants to be. The pride. He imagines himself to be that. He's a fallen angel. Stripped, defeated foe. Soon to be in chains. In darkness. But what does he do? Read the situation. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. Now this is something that needs to be brought up. God does not accept everything we do. He does not accept all offerings. And anything and everything people are doing is not okay with him. We are accepted in the beloved because of what Jesus has done. Christ, his righteousness, which we have received, is accepted as the complete sacrifice for our sins. That doesn't mean everything we do is accepted of God. And there is this thing that everything's okay and everybody's a winner and everybody gets a trophy. Everybody wins. Everybody's okay. And everything everybody's doing is okay. You may not understand it. You may not like it. But that's how God made them. And he loves them the way they are. So you should love them the way they are. Because that's what Jesus preached was love and acceptance. What you just heard is a doctrine of devils. Isn't it crafty? Isn't it sly? Oh, man, it's so close to the truth, and yet it is so far away from the truth. That's what we're dealing with with the enemy. He does love them. He doesn't love all the ways they are. He didn't make them that way. All the ungodly stuff. Jesus didn't preach love and acceptance. He preached repentance. And the kingdom of God. And he commanded love. Big difference. You'll hear this word. Acceptance. We're just. We're supposed to accept everybody. Like they are. We're, we're supposed to accept. We're, spo- we're supposed to accept. 
God doesn't accept everything people do. Here you got to, I mean, there's four people on the planet. He doesn't accept Cain's offering. And it made Cain mad. Keep reading. To Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. He's angry, and he's insulted. He's dejected. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you wroth? He had no right to be. And why is your countenance fallen? Why? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? Should you get a trophy if you don't win? No, you shouldn't. If you're big on that, you're actually misrepresenting God. Because he doesn't accept everything that people do. He doesn't accept all their works or all their offerings or all their actions. He doesn't approve of everything that people do. If you don't do well, sin is lying at the door, and unto you shall be his desire, you shall rule over him. That's a little bit hard to get in the King James. What's he saying? Abel and Cain bring their offerings to the Lord. Why would the Lord not receive your offering? We've already been talking about heart. Heart heart and it's not looking at the rest of the story obviously Cain had heart problems was Abel wholehearted towards God how could you see that he goes gets the best thing he's got is that right is he cutting corners he's trying to see how little he can get by with no no he loves his God and he wants to do something to please God and he reaches gets the best well the Lord knows your heart so when Cain and Abel came Abel's got Fluffy there. If you've been with us, you know who Fluffy is. And God says, you know, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Uh, God says, oh, Abel, that's so pretty. And you brought me your best. Oh, I receive it. And he says, Cain, no, that's not all right. I'm not going to accept that. Now, what I just described right now is Bible. But most church-going folks would think it's terrible. What? You've got to be more inclusive. You've got to be more accepting. Like who? I'm reading about God. And boy, when he said, that's not all right, Cain. I'm not going to accept that from you today. Cain probably didn't say anything, but man, he turned face, turned red as a beat. Now we read in Hebrews 12, don't despise the correction. Despise the shame. What's the problem with Cain? He's embarrassed. You know why embarrassment is so painful? Because the pride is so great. The enemy is there. Influencing Cain with pride. He cares more about, I don't know if mom and daddy was there. I don't know, but he cares more about that. He's on the spot. God didn't accept his offering. 
What's it time to do? Come on, help me, friends. What's it time to do? What's it time to do? It is time to humble yourself and receive correction. How hard would it have been? How hard would it have been to just say, why God say that to him? Because he knows his heart. Well, if God knows that was your heart, that was a problem, you know your heart too. So that means you already know you didn't do what you should have done. You knew what you should have done and you didn't do it. You did something else. What should you have said? I knew it. I knew it. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I knew it. You told me what to do. And no, I didn't pay attention and it was too much money for me and it was too nice. And so I'm Forgive me. Forgive me. I'll do better. What would have happened? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? Why would Father even tell him that? He's ready. The Father is ready for him to just make the adjustment and get it right. He's ready to accept his offering. But he's not going to play games with him and act like there's not a problem when there's a big problem. And act like his heart's right when it's not right. Love will tell you the truth. Love will correct you, even though it gets tense in the room and they don't want to talk to you for the next week. Love will still do it. But what happens when you won't receive correction? Right here. What did he do? God's talking to you. Cain, I'm not going to accept that from you, boy. We'll paraphrase a little bit. You can do better than this. You know better than this. Now, you do well, I'm ready. It'll be fine. But you don't. Sin is right here at the door. Why? Because the pride is right there at the door. The anger is right there at the door. The defiance. Why do I have to do this? I'm not going to do this. Why is sin right there at the door? Because the devil is right there on Cain, feeding him these. And because he didn't repent, it just gets worse and worse. He goes back to the house. He didn't repent. Oh, friend, one of the worst things you ever did was wait about repenting. All you did was give the devil more time and access to influence you. So he goes back to the house. He's still fuming. And the enemy starts bringing thoughts to him. Abel thinks he's so holy, holy, perfect. And if it hadn't been, I mean, why did he have to go get the most expensive thing on the ranch? I mean, why did he have to? He's just trying to make me look bad. And the devil keeps feeding him. Your real problem is Abel. If Abel hadn't been there and Abel hadn't done that, you wouldn't have come out like you had. A lie. That's not even true. Abel's your problem. Pride. So he keeps fuming. He keeps fuming. He won't repent. He's defiant. He goes out to talk to him. Maybe he didn't fully intend to kill him early on, but this, that's how these things keep, keep, they just keep going. And so they got to talking. And, and why, why do you want to talk to him? To repent? No. Why'd you do that? Do what, brother? That little fluffy thing you brought in there. 
You knew that was going to make me look bad. No, brother, no. That's just, I, I wanted to give that to God. You knew that was going to make me look bad in front of God, in front of mom and daddy and them. No. Yeah, you did. Pride. Arrogance. Seething. Refusal. And it got so heated until he killed him. One scripture indicates he cut his throat. Like you would an animal. Why? Why? The reason I I know this is not pretty. And it's not pretty. Why get into this? This is what happens if you won't receive correction. You get away from the Lord. And you yield to the enemy. And you allow his influence to just keep coming over you. Until you become more and more prideful. And angry. And rebellious. And disobedient. Not only is he proud. He's a killer. He's a murderer. Why did Cain kill his brother? Because he yielded to the devil and acted like the devil. I despise the devil. I said I despise him. And the worst thing you could ever say to me is that I was acting like him. Come on, are you with me? No, I'm out of his family. I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And the devil is nothing to me. I don't have to listen to him. I don't have to think like him. I don't have to talk or act or yield to any feeling or thought. Jesus is my hero. Hallelujah. That's who I want to be like. I admire humility. I admire and desire holiness. I admire faithfulness and obedience and submission. Because that's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Every one of those things. If you agree, stand on your feet. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Phyllis, would you please come? Oh, hallelujah. Just close your eyes and lift up your hands. We've already prayed and asked the Lord to show us and help us get rid of all that's not like him. All that's like the enemy. You might just say it by faith. Say, Lord, I'm willing to humble myself. I'm willing to receive correction and discipline. I'll humble myself. Because you're right. You're always right. And I love you. And I'm becoming more like you. Every hour. Of every day. In Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you Lord. You know I can't help but think. And I may every time he's teaching about this. Come up with some other way of telling and explaining it to you from natural ways because that's just who I am. But I can't help but think about the whole time he's teaching that, ways that we learn this and natural examples of it. I remember the very first time I did anything with Mom Hagen. It was the very first time I was ever really around her and there was this young lady that was getting married and I barely knew her. 
I mean, just barely knew her at all. I had not spent any time with her. And there was this lady that was on staff that she wanted to give a bridal shower to. And she said, I want you to do that, and I want you to do it at my house. Well, I had never even been to her house, much less give a shower at her house. And I walked in there, and, you know, you're kind of in awe of people at that point in time, you know. And I walked into her house, and I was setting up, and I was doing all these things. And I had set something up wrongly, and I had used something in a different way, and I had done something. And she came in there, and she just let me have it. Why did you use that? Why didn't you do it over here? What are you wasting all the time? And I thought, oh, my word, I had never seen her jump on me or anybody like that before. And I thought, oh, my word, I'm doing this for her. I'm not an employee of hers. I'm volunteering, and I'm just doing this. And she just jumped all over me like that. And, you know, I could have lost it then, and I could have just thrown everything down and walked out of there and gotten my feelings hurt, and I could have missed out on decades of learning from one of the greatest women of God I've ever met in my life because I would have gotten my feelings hurt. And, yes... Maybe she could have said it differently. And yes, maybe she could have done it differently. And yes, maybe things could have been handled in a whole different way. But that wasn't none of my business. That was between her and God. And maybe the funny part about it was maybe that was what I needed to hear in the way I needed to hear it. We don't always get to choose the way God corrects us. But what we do get to choose is how we respond to how he corrects us. And it was the greatest joy of my life to serve with Mom Hagen. He gave me a place in her life that I think very few people had. I served with her day in and day out, and and the Lord blessed us, and and Keith bought me a, a brand new Jaguar, and just to be able to drive Mom Hagen around in it. And I'll never forget the day it had white carpet in it, and she says, "I want a chili dog, and we I want to eat it in the car." And I'm thinking, "Mom, this is my brand new Jaguar, and you want to eat a chili dog in my car?" But I just smiled and said, two of them. I'll have one too. <laughs> and we ate a chili dog in the car. And, and I look back now with the greatest fondness. She was more of a mom to me than even my natural mom was. Because I learned so much from her that I apply every single day of my life. And the value of the things that I learned from her that I could have thrown away that very first day had I let my feathers get ruffled or had I got offended on the inside. Did you know you can get offended on the inside and carry that with you decade after decade after decade and never say anything about it? Even though you're around them, you're offended or hurt on the inside. And what right does she have to jump on me? She jumped on me so many times. She made a beeline for me before she even met me across an auditorium like this and cornered me in the front of the auditorium because I wasn't in a service one night. Now, what if I did that to somebody in this room? 
because you missed a service and I made a beeline for you and I called you up to the front of the auditorium and cornered you over here on the other side of the auditorium and I would have just as much place as she had to do it in my life, in your life. And I said, where have you been? How come you're not in church every night? And I said, well, well, and I didn't call her mom then. I said, well, Mrs. Hagen, I have been working. Well, that's not an excuse not to be in church. And she was talking about Keith. She said, Keith's here every single night. Don't you know there's single girls here every single night? And I thought, well, you know, I never thought about that. But she loved me enough without even knowing me to correct me. She loved me enough to be thinking about my future. God put her in my life because he loved me. And I look back on that now and I think, had I not have listened to her or had I got offended any time, any time along the way over those 30 years that, that we were with them, I could have got offended a bazillion times at her or dad. But at any time, we wouldn't be where we are today. At any time. And there were lots of times we could have gotten offended. But I thank God for it. And the more you give people of God a place in your life, the more that you're going to have an opportunity to grow in the things of God because they just do things because they love you or because God's directed them. At the direction of God, men and women of God, the more place they have in your life will be directed of God to do things for you. And if you'll listen and keep your heart right, like he said at the very beginning of the service, it's the heart. It's the heart. And you continue going in that direction and God can bring you up and up and up and up. But if you get offended because they say, don't sit there today, sit over here. And you don't come back to church. You've just lost out on half of what God has for you. So keep those offenders outside someplace. Those easily get offended modes. And just say, okay, God, I don't see that. But she's wiser than I am. She's been here longer than I have. Because you know what? I was cocky. I was full of pride. I was a smarty pants. I was so far from submission, I almost ruined our marriage. And God knew all that. And he had to send somebody that was strong enough in my path that I would love and listen to. And if he loves you, he'll do the very same thing for you. But you have to choose right up front not to get offended about it. You understand that? Because if you're cocky and full of pride, it's going to take somebody stronger than you. And if you ever knew anything about Mom Hagen, she was strong. And God knew that's who I needed. And if you're that way, he'll send you somebody that's strong and will help you stay the course and finish what God's called you to do. Because you may have cocky pants too. 
just call you Mr. or Mrs. Cocky Pants. You understand what I'm saying? He'll send somebody to help you along the way. Don't be late for service. Be here on time. Be nice to your wife. Whatever it is. Are we ready to receive it? This is so good. It's better than we know. It's better than we know. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.